0: Typically, the way I start a sermon is that I try to find what one of my preaching professors calls gospel tension. That is, what is the tension between how our lives actually are and how they were created to be and how they could be and how the gospel is redeeming them uh, to become? And that tension sometimes is is harder for people to see. And so we want to raise that tension so that as we go into the text, there's a sense like, oh, I need this. I need to I need to see where my life is not in order. And then there's some topics, like the one we're going to get into here in the next couple of weeks, that is so self-evident, so obvious that I don't even have to raise the issue. And that is that we know that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We know this. Our lives are not the way they're supposed to be. Our world, every aspect of our world has been torn by sin. And as a result of that, literally everything in life is more difficult than it's supposed to be. Can I get an amen to that? We we all know this intuitively. And yet we kind of try to suppress that. We pretend that it's not okay to be, uh, that we're not okay. but But we know that everything in life is more difficult than it's supposed to be. And the end result of all of that is that we feel exhausted, don't we? Any tired people in the room? Now, I mean, we know, right? Statistically, that we're not getting enough sleep on average. Okay, but but what we're talking about this morning and in the weeks ahead is 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 more than that. Okay, so some of you, yes, you need to go home and take a nap. Okay, um, but what we're talking about is deeper than that. It's a weariness. It's a restlessness. Within us, within our souls. And there's something about the modern world, the way we're doing modern life. There's different things that are, that are exaggerating this, that are making us more tired, more exhausted. And yet we know it's not just a modern problem. Right? As we are going to look in this series, we're going to see case studies of people in the Bible who struggled with some of the topics that we're going to talk about in this series, like depression and grief and anxiety. And we see that that even then there were people who struggled with things that we've now come to know and classify under the umbrella of mental health. And so in this series, we're going we're to talk about some of these topics. I want to lay a foundation. I want to be clear on what we're saying and what we're doing and what we're not doing and kind of set your expectations to know uh, that we want to do this carefully because this is an area where uh, many well-meaning Christians have said things that are more harmful than helpful. Uh, And we hope, by the grace of God, that we do not do that. So, this is pretty obvious, but I'll just start by saying I'm not a mental health professional. Okay, none of our pastors on staff are. The Bible is not a handbook on mental health, per se, right? But I do believe that the Bible speaks for itself and that the Bible speaks encouragement and hope and wisdom into these areas of life. The Bible acknowledges that we struggle with our mental health and that our mental health is is part of the bigger picture, that we're integrated whole beings. And so God cares about that as he cares about every aspect of our lives. So I want to start by sharing just a quick definition of mental health, okay? It's not a biblical term or a biblical category, so we can't go there for a definition, but I just want you to understand what I mean um, when I'm using this term. So mental health includes our emotional, psychological, and social well-being. It affects how we think, feel, and act. It also helps determine how we handle stress, relate to others, and make healthy choices. Mental health is important at every stage of life, from childhood and adolescence through adulthood. So that's pretty broad, and I think we can understand that within that, that that that's all part of the wholeness that God desires for us, the shalom, right? The total holistic health, a piece of that is our mental health. And so, just as a point of clarification, goes on to say, although the terms are often used interchangeably, poor mental health and mental illness are not the same. A person can experience poor mental health and not be diagnosed with a mental illness. Likewise, a person diagnosed with a mental illness can experience periods of physical, mental, and social well being. And I bring in that clarification because I think a lot of times when we think about mental health, we go straight to mental illness which is a big category, and there are are many people. In fact, I know that statistically there are people in this room, people watching online, who struggle and who fight against mental illness. But it's broader than that. I think if we think of mental health along a spectrum, just as it is with all of our areas of health, maintaining mental health is something that we all struggle with. We all feel the weight and the pressure of life. We feel some of those modern things that that exaggerate that and make that more difficult. And so all of this is to set the stage to say, I think that we can all relate to this topic. We all feel weary. We all feel burdened and we all struggle. So I want us to be careful to avoid two opposite errors of extremity. The first one is that we can over-spiritualize our problems. And this is when Christians will say things that are unhealthy that kind of feel like this. Hey, if you just say a prayer and read three Bible verses and call me in the morning, you'll be fine. Hey, if you just attended church enough or you had enough faith or you, like, tithe or whatever it would be, then you wouldn't struggle with these problems because they're, it's just a spiritual problem and you just need to figure this out. It's over, over-spiritualizing over the problem. But we, on the other end, we can also under-spiritualize it and we can say, well, you know, This over here is your spiritual life, so let's talk about this at church, and the Bible addresses this, and let's let other people, doctors, mental health professionals, talk about those issues. No, I think that it's all integrated, it's all related. In fact, it's all spiritual. It's not only spiritual, over-spiritualizing it, but it is always spiritual. And I think that Christian theology, and and it's supported now by science and brain research and things that we now know that we didn't know historically, I believe that we are integrated whole beings, and every aspect of our health touches every other aspect of our lives. So let me break it down for you here with a quick model. So this pie chart is how we often think about our lives. And these nice neat even slices and so you have your spiritual life your mental your emotional your financial we could have any number of categories up there from five to ten but this is kind of how we think about these different pieces of the pie and your spiritual life is one piece of that pie i don't think this is a good model i don't think this is the way the bible explains things and i don't think this is our experience so then we take it another layer and we say okay the spiritual is the most important and it speaks into all the other areas we're moving in the right direction we're getting a little bit closer. So then the third model as it moves forward is the God at the center model, which, which I really appreciate. And again, I think that's closer to the reality. I use that phrasing a lot, talking about putting God at the center of our lives. But as we think about the domains of our lives... It's still segmented, and it's like we have these sections, and God is important, and He's at the center of all of it. So I I came up with my own model. I know this is dangerous, right? So I humbly present to you a model that's probably out there somewhere. I couldn't find it in short order, but this is how I tend to think about it as kind of a messy Venn diagram, if you will. And that is that all of the layers of our lives are overlapping one another. And so our, our mental health can affect our physical body, can cause stress, right? Our emotions, all of it is tied together. So the two things about, about this model that I would commend to you because I made it is number one, that the layers overlap. They're not pieces of the pie. And listen, I love a good pie chart as much as anybody else. It's helpful. I love pie for that matter. But but it's more complicated than that. They're overlay, they're, they overlay one another. And the other thing that I think is important of thinking about this and this is important in setting up our series, is that it's all spiritual, right? God cares about every aspect of our life. He wants to redeem and restore every aspect of our humanity and our wholeness. We are spiritual beings. It's all spiritual. And so with this, we go into this series. And I want to, One more thing that I want to say, and I I believe as Christians, we need to lean into the spiritual disciplines of prayer, of Bible study, of worship, of community, but I also think that we would be wise to avail ourselves to the best resources afforded by medicine, technology, the social sciences, and that as Christians, all we need for salvation is Jesus and faith. But what we may need to be holistically healthy in a sin-torn world is that we may also need other resources outside of the spiritual disciplines, to utilize medicine, to utilize therapy, professionals, counselors, people who can help us, who can walk alongside us. And so I just want to, I want to affirm that and say that, that, that I believe that God has given us those things as a gift to use wisely. Wisely. Again, not to the exclusion of seeking first Jesus, of looking to him as the one who heals us and who makes us whole, but recognizing that he can give us gifts in those things and that we can wisely use those. So as as we go through this series, please make sure that you're not hearing from us, hey, look, this is just a spiritual problem. You guys just need to get this figured out, okay? Um, so that is all a foundation for, as we approach this series, what, what we're talking about. So why do a series like this? Well, because even for faithful people, faith and trust in God often doesn't come easy. Because we're weary. Because we're tired. The burdens of life weigh us down. Because we come to church and we look around and sometimes we think that everybody else has it figured out. Let me just go ahead and tell you, they don't. They don't. Everybody in here is struggling with heavy, weary burdens. They may not be the same ones as you. you. You may be struggling with crippling debt and they may have cancer. You may have young, th- three young children at home and they might be figuring out how they're going to pay for their retirement. Right? We all have different struggles. You, you may be struggling with lust. They may be uh, struggling with loneliness. They're all different kinds of struggles, I hope this series will resonate with your soul. I hope it will open up avenues for conversation and discussion to seek healing where you might be feeling stuck and hopeless. So let's just begin by acknowledging that we're not okay. We need help. We're tired. We're weary. But there's good news when we come to Jesus. So what is this good news? Matthew 11 kind of gives us the gospel in a nutshell, if you will. Jesus says, come to me, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. If you take my yoke upon me, upon you, you learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus is inviting us to rest in him when life is hard, when the burdens are heavy. And when Jesus sends out this invitation, the theme that he chooses for his Shutterfly invites is livestock. Yeah, not particularly cute, but it works. The image uh, that Jesus uses in this passage is of a yoke, a heavy wooden uh, a heavy wooden bar that fits over the neck of an ox so that it can pull a cart or a plow. Now, this yoke could be placed upon one animal; it could have been placed upon two. And apparently how this works, I'm not a farmer, uh, but I can only share what, what what I read. Apparently sometimes, or often maybe even, one of the animals would be much stronger than the other. They would be sort of the lead one in the yoke. And the stronger animal uh, was often more attuned to the commands of the master. And so the other would would come along as a kind of apprentice and would learn, would be pulled along by the stronger one, would be shown how to follow in the way of the master and what a beautiful image to us of coming into the yoke of jesus right he is the one who is stronger he knows the way he knows the master's commands he knows how to be fully human and so we come under his apprenticeship now jesus is speaking to self-righteous people who are burdened by laws rules and regulations Yes, the ones of Scripture, but on top of that, the religious leaders have interpreted all these extra rules and all these burdens. And Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4, that the religious teachers tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry, and they place them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. In contrast to that, Jesus says, yes, there's a heavy Load and a heavy burden, but let me come into your life and let me carry that heavy burden for you. The yoke is easy and it's light, but it's not easy to him. It's not light to him. He's the one who does the heavy lifting. And yet he is gentle and he's humble in heart. So to be yoked to Jesus means that we give him everything that we have. We come into a relationship where we walk alongside of him and we give over all that we have and he gives us everything that he has. That's the gospel. We give over our sin and shame, anger and frustration, pain and weariness, loneliness, everything. And in this offer, he gives us abundant life, hope and peace and joy, strength, faith, obedience, and connection to the Father. So to be yoked to Jesus is an invitation to come into close relationship with him, to, to get in sync with his way of doing life. So I was trying to think of what would be a comparable example to us today, since we're not farmers and maybe this image of two-yoked oxen doesn't quite translate into our day and time. And the best that I could come up with that was simple is the idea of a three-legged race. You guys remember it, right? From uh, field day, elementary school, the old three-legged race. You would often try too hard to go too fast. You would would fall over. But, you know, as we often do, we take things and we make them a thing, right? And so these women over here on the right, I don't know if they still hold the record, but in 2015, they ran a three-legged marathon. That's right. Together, side by side, they ran this and they hold the Guinness Book of World Records for the fastest three-legged marathon. You didn't even know that was a thing, but now you do. There you go. You're welcome. But think about that. You, You don't just go out and run a marathon. That's not the way it works. You have to train a long time. And so these women had to spend considerable time together, getting in sync, learning the exact same pace. They had to train together hours and hours and hours. To be able to pull that off. What a beautiful metaphor. Jesus invites us into the three-legged race with him. To train with him. For him to show us the way. It's an invitation into relationship. Closeness in proximity. And alongside ministry. And then in verse 29, it concludes, You will find rest for your souls, for your souls. That doesn't always mean rest for our bodies. There are times and seasons when we are tired and we are weary physically and emotionally, but Jesus promises us a deep rest in the midst of that, that he will be with us. He promises us a rest for our souls that we can know we have peace with God. And then if we're good with God, that gives us perspective, that gives us hope, that gives us endurance to run the race, to go through the challenges that life throws at us. It is a rest for the soul. It's not the kind of rest that we can get by just going away to the mountains for a weekend or binge-watching Netflix for a Saturday afternoon. We may need a rest like that. But more than that, we need a rest for our souls and it can only be found in an abiding relationship with jesus he's the only one who can help us to be able to genuinely say it is well with my soul so who is this good news for well it's for all who are weary and burdened for those who will recognize their need the church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners not a museum for saints Jesus says he came not for the righteous or the healthy or those who thought they had it figured out. He came for the sick. He came for the unrighteous. He came for those who were desperate for good news and grace in their lives, who recognized their need. In Luke 5, Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law complained to the disciples. And they said, why do you eat and drink with these tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This gospel is good news for those who recognize their need. In the New Testament, those who who thought that they were self-righteous, who thought they had life figured out, they were not willing to receive the good news. They were proud, they were arrogant and self-righteous. Who is this good news for? It's for weary and burdened and broken people. It's for us. So how do we respond to this incredibly good news? Well, first we're told, come to me. This echoes the words of Jesus to the disciples in the Gospels. It's a simple invitation. Come, follow. An invitation to place faith and trust in him alone, to be a follower. So how many of you remember uh, back when we used to, not have gps right can you remember that far back and we would go places and uh if you went with a group you would simply assign someone who knew how to get there and then you would follow them right sounds pretty simple sometimes it wasn't but you know you had to you had to trust them that they knew where they were going and you just you just followed now we don't even do that we just we all punch it in our own gps okay we'll see you there and that can be nice but but there's something powerful about simply trusting and following someone. I can remember a time when I was in college when I went caving over in northwest Arkansas. And there's these crazy caves underneath Arkansas. And there was, there was one in particular, they called it Spaghetti Junction. I don't know if that was the real name for it. But uh, it was just this convergence of all these caves. And when you get down there, you can get lost. And it's serious. I mean, you can get stuck underground if you don't know what you're doing. And so, of course, before I went on this trip, I wanted to make sure that the person who was guiding us knew what they were doing, that they had been down there, that they had followed this path. In fact, not just once, but multiple times before I was going to follow them into the underground in places where you're crawling, you know, and up against the wall and all that. It's not for everybody. I'm seeing some of your faces right now. But It requires trust to follow into the unknown. And this this is the life of following Jesus. He says, come and follow me. But in order to do that, we have to surrender. We have to trust in him. We have to give over all that we have. We have to surrender control of our lives. The gospel call is to be yoked with Jesus, but this requires repentance and surrender. It means setting aside things that we have been previously yoked to. And even in our walk with Christ, there are things that we can place ourselves under the yoke of something else that leads us in the wrong direction. We have to set those things aside. We have to turn away from them in order to be in the yoke with Jesus. Whatever idols that we have offered, our disordered love, whatever driving force in our lives that is taking us away from him, to be yoked with Jesus is to learn from him. It's a call of discipleship. I think it's important also to to understand this sort of final phrase here. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have to understand that in context. What Jesus is not saying is, hey, if you just become a Christian and come follow me, your life will be easy. That's not what Jesus is saying. We have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture. We have to think about the many statements that Jesus said about following him. And yes, the yoke, right, the burden that Jesus carries the weight of it, but it's still a call to come and die and to follow him. And in fact, Jesus said, following me is not easy. He said, you have to take up your cross and follow me. That's not easy. He said, Galatians in Galatians 2.20, Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Romans 12, he said, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So, So being in the yoke, With Jesus doesn't mean that your life is going to go great all of a sudden, that everything's going to work out well, you'll never be sick, you'll always have plenty of stuff. No, that's that's not what he means. He's making a theological statement. He's saying your debt has been paid. But he's not saying your life will be easy. In fact, what he's doing by inviting us into the yoke with him is he's actually inviting us into work, into a mission. To go out into the field with him. He will be the lead ox, right? Always. But he invites us to come into the yoke with him. The way of Jesus is not easy. It's not cheap. It is costly. It's difficult. It demands all that we have and all that we are. But it's easy and light because it's empowered by grace. Because it produces peace and well being and wholeness. It's a better way of being human. It's a better way of life. Not a promise that all will be easy, but a promise that life with Jesus is always better than life without Him. Always better. That's the promise. We know it's not an easy way because even Jesus said that it's the narrow way. He said, Enter through the narrow gate. Few will find this, few will follow. It's easy and light because Jesus is with us, because He does the heavy lifting. So, as we think about our lives and the weariness and the burdens that we all carry, this initial invitation is that life is hard, and Jesus invites us to come into close fellowship with Him, to come into the yoke with Him. That He will be with us, that He will guide us, that He will direct us, He will sustain us by His grace. So I want to finish by reading this passage, and I want to read it from Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of this passage from the Message Bible. It's beautiful. So, hear this. You might even want to close your eyes and just hear these words, these beautiful phrasings. Are you tired, worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn from the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your faithfulness, and for your mercy. And Lord, would you teach us, would you show us what it means to learn your unforced rhythms of grace that will sustain us through all the challenges, will sustain us through the weariness and the burdens of this life, that will give us hope in an age of great cynicism to live as lights in the darkness, to be people of hope, to be people who believe that you are restoring and redeeming and renewing all things. God, I pray today for my friends. I don't know what they're facing, what burdens they're carrying, but I know they have them. And I pray today that you will help us to come to entrust those things into your care, to know that you do care and that you do know. God, we'll turn those things over to you and we will walk with you. We will ask you to carry those burdens for us. Lord, we are tired. We're worn out. God, would you infuse your grace into our lives? Would you help us to find a more whole, peace-filled way of living? God, would you heal us? Would you strengthen us? Would you show us your way and to believe that you are the way and the truth and the true life? Father, we love you, we trust you, and we want to trust you more. In Jesus' name, amen.